Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Get it on. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. This is episode 123. One, two, three. Let's go, baby. We are plugging right along. I am so excited about this one, guys. I have my man Randall Dean on for episode 123. We actually did this interview right before I played a set for his Critically Massive project, which is a really, really cool live stream series he's been doing with some of the biggest and best DJs in Chicago. Now, Randall has a great story, and he started DJing in 2001, and he's done so many incredible things, so he had a ton to talk about. In this interview, we discussed his early inspirations and how he got into house music, his production styles, and what it's like singing on his own tracks and collaborating with different types of producers and artists. We also talked about some of his favorite live shows he's played in the past, including clubs like The Mid and, of course, festivals like Me and Be on the Beach and Spring Awakening. Now, Randall has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, and this guy has so much energy. I was laughing the entire time, and it was so awesome to actually do this over at his place. You guys are going to love this interview. If you have time, make sure to check out the video. We actually did it, like I said, at his apartment. He's got a really cool camera setup where we did the live stream. So without further ado, let's get into it right now so Randall can tell you his story for himself. This is episode 123 with Randall Dean. All right, Randall Dean. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here right now. What a beautiful view. I just said to you, I feel like I'm actually in the lake. It's a yeah. good feeling. You've been here for seven years, you said? Yeah, we're coming up on, I think November will be seven, so six and a half. Um, wow. It's such an honor to be part of the critically massive live stream series. Obviously, it's a weird time to roll right now for the music industry, and I want to acknowledge you not only for doing things like this, but I've been following you for a few years, man, and you've always come off as one of the biggest hustlers in the Chicago scene. Thank you. I get that a lot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you've been doing this. I was doing my research today since about 2001 you got into DJing. Yep. It's almost 20 years of experience, man. I know, it's crazy when you have to tell, like, when you go back and retrospect and you, you start, people start saying things like, oh, yeah, I've known, you know, Lady D since <laughs> 1995. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. Yep. <laughs> I had uh, Michelle Blue Nine on the show before, and yeah. uh, we had a few conversations like that as well. But it's, it's honestly a huge reason why I love talking to veterans of the Chicago scene, like you and her and RJ, of course. You guys have a real grasp on the timeline of house music specifically in Chicago, right? Like it's come a long way since the warehouse days in the 2000, 2010, we're here in 2020 right now. Yeah. It's, it's a lot different, right? It really is. I mean, when I started as a raver kid in the 90s, you know, when a lot of the people that I currently hang out with were born, you know, <laughs> uh, it was uh, people breaking into an abandoned warehouse and stealing power from the place next door. Hell yeah. You used to have to call a you know, call someone's beeper the day of the party to yeah. get the location of a place to go and wait for a bus to pick you up. 
and take you to the party and you like leave your cars in this parking lot. What? Little did all of us like privileged suburban kids know yeah. how much danger we were in. I mean, 16, 17 years old, yeah, Harvey, Illinois, highest murder rate in Illinois at the time, Jesus. tripping our balls <laughs> off in a warehouse that wasn't okayed by the person throwing the party there. And that was every weekend, sometimes twice a week. are talking about it right now. Yeah, right? I survived. I survived. So. so you obviously are a Chicago guy. Were you born here then? Uh, no, but I've lived here longer than anywhere else, so I consider it my hometown. Absolutely. What does Chicago mean to you then? I mean, Chicago to me, it means home. You know, I've got a song coming out that I'm making with uh, Russell and another vocalist called Simone Green. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's called My Home. Mm -hmm. And it's just all about how, you know, the, one of the hooks is uh, know that I may wander, know that I may roam, know that I may never leave Chicago. It's my home. You know? Oh, I love you that. Know? And so, uh, or something like that, and uh, just yeah. essentially, like, no matter where I go in the world, this is always going to be home for me. Like, it like, really is sweet home Chicago for me. I just can't imagine, I mean, I'm sure I'm biased, but I just, uh, outside of the United States, barring that, but in the United yeah. States, I think we've got the best skyline, we've got the best pizza. I agree with those. I mean, I've, cheers to that, <laughs> <man>. I <laughs> just, I'm saying, that. like, what else is there? Skyline and pizza, you know? Mm -hmm. That's all people hear about in the cities of so America. So that's, right? that's why when we decided on a place to live, we, we had to have the skyline. I know it's a... Uh, a little far away on the camera now. It's like honestly, a, it's it's quite beautiful from out here. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, with telephoto lens, we've been able to get some really cool stuff. The other day, a couple of my friends were throwing a football on that beach right there, and with mm -hmm. this telephoto lens, I was able to zoom right in on them. Oh, you creep! And then that, no, no, I, <laughs> and then I mean, it was during one of our live streams, and, yeah, then, and yeah. then I took a, a phone video of the of the you know the live screen. Yeah. And uh, and I sent it to him like that was super creepo. I'm just like, hey, I'm, I'm like nice throw. <laughs> That's nice bikini. Pretty, that, <laughs> that's pretty cool, though. I yeah. mean, the technology in here, I feel like I'm really in a studio, and you obviously have taken this seriously for, it seems like, a long time. When did you actually say, I'm going to do this, this is my career, this is what I want to do? Do you remember sort of that, that with, initial mean, moment? With DJing or music with and all music, that? With music. I mean, okay. did DJing or producing come before? You know, I, I grew up in live music. I uh, started at age 15, 16, which is like the mid to late 90s. you're a singer. Singer. Right? Yeah. And um, my, I, my girlfriend was in a band, and she just kept not showing up to practice, and my best friends were in the band, so I'm like, mind if I sit in? Yeah. You know, I was in a, like, you know, I don't know what to call it, like, like beatnik, spoken word singing, like Michael Stipe, R.E.M. sort of stuff at the yeah, time. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, I'm a really wordy guy anyway, and mm -hmm. I really love stitching expressions together, like taking two old-timey expressions and putting them together into, like, one thought and making it something completely different than either of the two expressions, yep. or something very ironic, you know, and... Uh, and uh, so I was just, I was already, I was always just sketching that stuff down and really, I always sang in my car. I was never like, formally trained. And, sure. Uh, and uh, I sat in with them and it went really well. And so they kicked my girlfriend out of the band. And we shortly after that, we <laughs> were no longer going out anywhere. But the music, yeah, yeah, the bot, yeah it was funny. And um, so that was like the first, you know, 10 or 15 years of music. Mm -hmm. And then I got into digital stuff around 01, like right around the time of 9-11. Uh, yeah. And it was like. Reason was just coming out, but it was Propellerhead had this other one where it was like a 303, a 909, and an 808. I can't mm -hmm. remember what it's called now, but it was just like this. It was like holy crap! It, the only way to record it was to literally click one and then make a pattern. And it's like I felt like I was doing punch cards with no computer programming machine. <laughs> and uh, it, for all of you guys who are old enough to know what that is, yes. But uh, anywho, and then uh, and then I remember Fruity Loops one, like Studio came out, and this was like the first DAW that I had ever even heard of. I mean, outside of Pro Tools, Pro Tools was like this, but like. Hollywood thing to anybody Seriously. like us, yeah. and uh, you know, started doing a bunch of stuff like that. But just I showed it to some people who I liked, and I was just getting into DJ in one. I bought my first set of decks, these two actually, and um, somebody gave me a really good piece of advice. They said, "Have you ever 
DJ before and I said no, and they're like, you might want to consider doing that mm. first before you produce. And what year was this? 2001. Right. Because otherwise, you won't really know your clientele. And at the time, I, I just people who were buying there was no MP3s. It was mm-hmm. it was records. Like you had to go and spend twelve dollars on a record right. that was one out of twenty that you listened to in a record shop, standing <laughs> on your feet with a greasy <laughs> pair of headphones on your head, playing the records. And they're like, so every record in a DJ's collection, at least on a newbie, not the people who got these record pools, but if you're a new DJ, every single record in your collection represented hours of, of searching and like countless dollars so like yeah so like i got that and like really i'd never really at the time the fans weren't going out and buying house music and, and, and the people who were the big customers were djs and right. the guy basically said know your customer yeah and so i got into producing and i got sucked down that rabbit hole so much that then right at that time records were kind of taking a shelf to cds and i just put all that shit on my credit cards for records i'm like not yeah. buying not buying cd decks I've so heard this story, yeah. I focused on digital music and, and my live band for many years after that un, until CDs went completely away, like literally gone, yeah. and uh, controllers just started coming out. And I'm like, all right, let me fuck with this tractor program, sure. and got that, and that was cool. Had some ups and downs with digital music and bands. You know, I, I wrote a bunch of digital music, didn't back it up, lost it all. Damn. So just disenfranchised from the whole thing. I just started a band called Corduroy Shag and did funk music for like five years. No, like three years. <laughs> like three years, yeah. And then after that band broke up, you know, That's and cool as, though. yeah, it was really, I mean, honestly, live music is my passion and I, you know, I really love write, writing and performing are my two passions. That's why I like, I like DJing a lot and it's a very like necessary tool for yeah. the job, especially when you write the music that you like the genre of music that you play, which I do. Certainly. Um, so I'll never give up DJing and I love it. And honestly, since I've been getting more into it, I've been and having more masters over here playing on my channels, I've been picking up little things and uh, really incorporating them, which has helped me become a better DJ overall. And yeah. So, it used to be like, oh, let me get a few records of warm up, you know. And now I'm just like, I, you know, I don't, I don't plan my sets. I, I just, unless I, unless it's like Spring Awakening, for instance. Yeah. I plan my set for that because a, sure. there, I don't know who's gonna come, so there's no way I could bring that much music. And but b, if people are coming, it's because Randall Dean is playing, and they're coming to that to see me, You're or just, or it's people who have never heard of me, and they're like, what is this guy all about? So yeah. I started building a catalog of music. I, I'll probably plan a set like that because I'll practice it a hundred times until it's flawless. I understand. And, uh, yeah, and you sure. know, there's there's always room for um, you know. I have tools that I can apply to the trade to add some improvisational things to it, and I'm also trying to like start incorporating vocals in because I'm a vocalist. But yeah. um, it's becoming to do it any more than just a single microphone, which is already boring to me. Yeah, I, it has become an extra set of gear that I need to buy. Like I have a looping station right now that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that allows me to do like five. It's the same one like Mark Ribolette plays. You know, uh, it's a five. Him. It's an RC five hundred five. Love him. He's the god of it, and uh, I've got that gear, but it doesn't plug into the gear that I have in a way that will allow me to do it in a professional manner so it's a great toy that I'm tinkering with but I anyway once I'm able to bring that in I think the live element is going to be amazing like I yeah I love bringing live elements into the DJ set because that's what that's what gives me my jollies it's you know? a differentiator too man I mean that's incredible you, you were talking a lot of, a little bit about your influences I don't even know if you realize it but when I listen to your music there's a lot of funk disco soul where do your influences actually come from? Whether it be an artist, an experience, whatever it might be it's so weird because um, I came up in a place where it wasn't, I wouldn't say country music was popular, but like, oh, well, my mom got me in the divorce. So I, I grew up on like 1980s chick rock. So like, <laughs> I could probably sing like a Debbie Gibson song. If you just start playing like the first few bars, I haven't heard it since the 80s. Is this true? I could probably true? sing, I mean like, 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 Black Velvet. You know, I could probably go off on some Black Velvet okay, right now. Okay, you know, like, yeah. Anyway, 
and that kind of shit. And, sure. Uh, and, and so I have no idea where the soul came from, but in my like impressionable years, like the early 90s, 92, right when like, well, they called it hip hop at the time, but mm-hmm. now they call it freestyle, like that, like like pump up the volume, pump up the volume, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like groove is in the heart, yeah, and yeah. all that, like 1990s. It was played on B96 at the time, right? And they called it hip hop, and it's it's funny, really? they, yeah. They I mean they, I, they, they seriously did, and it was so borderline house that I didn't even know it. I yeah. I really think that even though I grew up, I, I I first came up like I first started like really belting out in my car to stuff like uh, well, because I I was still like late grade school when all that stuff was coming out sure. like you know like um cnc music factory was seventh grade for me love that yeah right and so it's such an interesting time in your life as a, as a music listener yeah. you really grab hold of that time in your life and totally. you look back and you just i just i've been thinking about that so much is the times in my life where music has really influenced me like it does today but it doesn't change my life you right know what I mean? same like, kind of past that point now totally and i feel like that fifth grade to 10th grade even 11th 12th all through high school it's like that music is what you go back to it's where you draw inspiration from i agree and i think a lot of it and maybe maybe i can't speak for the youth of today but for me a lot of it has to do with the way the music industry as a whole has changed with how people consume music like music industry as a money maker has completely flipped since when we were kids when we were kids it was the it was the album sales that made all the money and you know you go out and see a fucking U two for twenty dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, they made a million. But once digital music came out, and yeah. it was essentially like I mean, what they could scrape together for people who would buy it and didn't get off Napster and all these other programs that were emerging, mm-hmm. was that the shows started becoming the way they make money: merch and shows. Yep. That's yeah, true. Truly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <that's true. laughs> but uh, and the, the, yeah, I'm sorry. Like what? I lost my point. What, what were we just talking about? Well, it's it's really interesting because you were talking about when you used to go in the record stores and put on the greasy headphones, and yeah. I think there's a real visceral aspect to that that made you, I mean, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but influenced by that, right? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. That's today, what, that's a, kid, what a kid listens to something on his AirPod that his mom got for him, and it's just some hip-hop rap track that really doesn't resonate with That's him. That's exactly what I think for reminding me. So, essentially, back in that's the day... That's what I do. That's what I do. Yeah. Back in the day, it used to be, like, people would put out albums because it would take a long time and a lot of work to... It couldn't just, it's not just like hit send and now you're, now that album is live like it is now for the sure. record labels or independents. Sure. So it used to be like, wow, I got this album, like REM album and I like learn every song and I spend like, you know, six months listening to every beat and every bar and learning every word and every utterance and I really nerd out on like the syncopation of the voice as a vocalist. And sure. Uh, so... You know, I think I really got a lot of influence from that early '90s stuff, which stuck around throughout the night. Through the, I mean, music takes a long time to go away. So, yeah. but but just that groovy, like, just I would, it's almost like post house. You know, for a minute there, like, I mean, I, I know there was house going on at the time, but in the early '90s, what was like the rave parties was all about like like techno music and acid house, like music yeah. you could music you could take a hit of acid to and not and not wonder why we're singing like why why are we doing gospel now like where are we doing? like but, like I didn't even get house music back then I found a I found a Craig Alexander tape that was called Underground Disco one of those mixtapes that you used to get with like the one color label I don't know if you ever hear that they I have. they have these tape stations anyway I found one at a rave and uh, I listened to it it's an underground disco and I'm like okay all right I like, hey, disco's kind of cool I like Michael Jackson whatever you know and I listened to it and I'm like what is this through it like literally five years later came back to it I was like damn Craig Alexander like I like freak myself out because I'm like I forgot I had this shit it's like my jam now because you know when you're taking acid it's like ear, 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 ear. and that's cool because that, that music can take your trip on a journey but like that was yeah. the drug of choice back then I mean I didn't I didn't do any of the other designer stuff back then sure. with weed and acid and maybe shrooms but yeah um, 
Sorry, mom. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just kidding. She knows. What years were that then? The 90s? That was like the night. Like uh, so, uh, ninety four five is when I probably hit my first rave. That was like sixteen, seventeen. Well, you know, there was a lot more intense shit going on then too. I mean, that's really when Chicago was kind of taking its turn. I again to bring up Blue Nine. We had a deep conversation about really that transition for music and how influential Chicago was was on the rest of the world. Still is, man. I, you know, it's it really still is. It's crazy when you, when uh, I went to ADE last year for like I got invited to play a show with um, uh, RFK Productions. They uh, Rhonda and Coco, they're super great people. They uh, do a lot of shows on the South Side. Mm-hmm. And Russell invited me to play. They had like an opening on the lineup, and I went, and it was nuts, man. It was a complete. It's it's like people are like, oh, you're from Chicago, like yeah. you must be good. Yeah. You know, and it was really like I took full advantage of it. Not not just I wouldn't say advantage. I just I like I I, I basked in it. You know what yep. I mean? And uh, sure. it, the crowds there, man, I, nothing but love for my Chicago crowds, but man, the crowds there, like in Chicago, when I play my original music, even though I, I was confident enough to get in, like, and the record label signed it and all that, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm like, here it goes, hope yeah. they like it. And in Europe, I played a set of almost all original stuff, and every time I dropped an original song, people were like, getting off their stools, like, hold on, like putting their phones down and like dancing. They're like, this is something we haven't heard before. That's what it used to be when I came up in, in the yeah. parties. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like whenever it got to be too many songs you'd heard, that's when you'd go to a bathroom break or go, you know, find your dealer or whatever. <laughs> but, like, and they, but it was like, I wanted to be schooled. And like as a DJ, that's what I always looked for too because, and this is even pre-Shazam. I mean, like, I just wanted somebody to take me to school mm-hmm. when I was on the dance floor. And sure. now I feel like if you don't throw in at least a few, like, recognizable things you might lose like a lot of people but in Europe it was the opposite the yeah. less recognizable I played assuming the same level of you know quality very music, true the more engagement I got out of the crowd and it was it was, a, it was awesome man it was awesome. incredible and I, we could have a five-hour interview about the difference between you know Europe and America and I've interviewed a lot of Europeans too and Canadians as well and America is just such a different culture but I want to ask you more about your music you were just talking about it right and I brought up a lot of oh, disco yeah. elements I want to know your music making process as someone who's actually a singer as well. How do you like to collaborate with other people? What's your process like in the studio? You know, give me the download. Well, you know, I've been dabbling with the digital music for a while and didn't really go anywhere with it. Um, to, you know, I've been trying in bits and pieces to get better at all because to be a producer is such a well, first of all super vague term. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, so, uh, but the way that a lot of people consider being a producer in my in my circles is you make the music from start to scratch, yep. all yourself. You can source musicians, you may be able to bring samples in, but like in the quality stuff, you get, you try to do your little little sampling of other, like sample packs and all that stuff, I try to stay right, away from right, that. Right. And so um, I didn't realize how much, like, because like, I had been in songwriting for a long time, but I was a singer, and I didn't know classical music, so I took a year to learn theory yeah. and, on a keyboard, and then I applied that to MIDI. Okay. And then once I got good at that, you know, then it was just all those ups and downs of losing the hard drive and stuff like that. So I slowly inched my way to it. But what I I got my first shot singing on a track called "Let It Go." Uh, Aaron um, uh, Aaron Davidson. Um, he uh, he's like, you know, I want to do a vocal track. He was really into like progressive house at the time, like sure. leaning, leaning towards trance. But um, we did a track together. that was great. It got signed. It was on uh, Semi Trance Records. I. Don't know. I I still to this day don't really know like how big of a deal that it's been relicensed a dozen times. Like I like went on iTunes the other day and I typed in my name just cause, to see if my new one was out yet. Yeah. And I just dropped a new one. And it was like that song on like ten different. I'm like what? Nice. How is? I'm like hey whatever. Like you know. But uh, anyway, yeah. it's like it's like like it's it's not. I mean it's it's definitely a good song. Not like what I play now. But then uh, 
after that, I got the bug, and I, I literally, and I've been doing music for 25 years, and almost given up many times, I literally said, fuck it, I put four hours a day in, five days a week, for eight weeks, and I got signed to our first record label after that, and I was a song called, uh, so, yeah, I, I thought about it, takes, right? I know, man, it was just like, you know, so I was doing, a, I learned a lot in real estate as, as a realtor, which I was for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, one guy said, if you want to make full-time money, you have to put in full-time work, sure. you know what I mean, and so I did that with me, I applied it to music, and I'm just like, holy shit, trying hard not to think that I wasted the last 20 years of my life, <laughs> I, I, whatever, I didn't, obviously you got me here, sure. but I'm just saying, like, I put in the work and put out a song using Ableton stock, everything, no samples, all music that I made myself, I, I mean, I used a couple of, I used a couple of drum samples, because I, I don't have drum kits to sample, but, yeah, sure, but um, I put it out, and, you know, Steve Hurley and, and, and Skip, the owners of the label, were just so, like, warm and receiving to it, and I was like, holy cow, and they took a chance on me, and I think, like, one of the only crackers on their label, so I was very blessed. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. talk, if I'm being honest. And, uh, you know, Lady D actually forwarded my song, so I'll be forever in her debt for that. And uh, forever awesome. grateful. And, um, you know, uh, they wrote, they wrote, and then did a, put a couple of songs out of them, and uh, that went really well. And uh, then I went to ADE, and uh, the people from uh, Let There Be House Records, which, in, in it together, uh, sister labels, who are big deals. Like, I, I, like, they both just put out summer compilations, uh, uh, two weeks apart, they both reached number one in the UK charts on da- UK dance charts, number one album. And uh, on the In It Together one, that was my most recent one, which was uh, July third, came out. It was on that album, so I had a song in a number one album. Which what is the hell? Album. I know. And then who one, is this guy? <laughs> and then <laughs> one week later, SNS Records put out a, a summer compilation, which I had as one of my previous works of theirs, and that got to number one on Track Source. So it was just like it was like July was like pop pop. Yeah, I was like. And I, it's like, I, didn't, I know I didn't get there on my own, and there's a whole group of people, I mean, like, you know, Maurice Joshua on the SNS one, like, Grammy Award winning, yep. you know, so I know that I'm, like, on the, I'm, I'm, like, clinging to the coattails of these amazing producers, but it just feels amazing that, like, one of my top-level goals and mission statements when I got into this was to make the kind of music that inspires the people who inspired me. Like, I want to see, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I want to see, you know, Derek Carter be like, damn, that new Randall Dean track, you know, like, or, you know, whomever. I want to see some people who play the music that I play, you know, like, d- different DJs evolve, you know, like one, you know, one DJ that I came up like listening to that used to play a lot of house music there into like, real, like, more like tech minimal kind of stuff now. So I, I hesitate to say like, this is the DJ I want to be like, you've arrived because they play it. Like, sure. you know, just even like, you know, I was at Smart Bar after one of my songs came out on SNS um, called, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was Penthouse Suite or thought about it, but T. Mixwell, I had just given her a thumb drive, you know, at, uh, at like a, co- you know, Tuesday night show that Russell took me to. Yeah. And I just handed her a thumb drive, and then I went, up, I went to Smart Bar the other day, a couple days later to support her, didn't like, wasn't like, hey, I'm coming to your show, right. wasn't like that or anything, because I don't, didn't know her that well yet, and since then, we've become friends, and she played here for Taste of Randolph, super cool, fucking amazing DJ. Anyway. She played it at Smart Bar, and people literally got off their stools, and they were like cheering her on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For my track, and I was, and I was the entire time, I'm like, don't, don't run around telling everybody it's your track. It was like I was literally, I was just like, sitting in the back, being like, yes. Yeah, it was all I could do to not run around and be like, it's my track, it's my track, it's my track, you know, and like, yeah, yeah, I did, I did a good job. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. I had a friend do it. It's the little wins, man. You know, that to me is more than the, the five cents per copy I've made up the sales. I really, honestly, like, I, I never wanted music to ever be what paid my bills because I almost was there one time and I tried being in a cover band and I was just like, no. 
I can't do it, man. I just, I just, it got to be where like we were stressing out about practice and we were stressing out about gigs, and it's just like once you add stress and money, money and stress is kind of the same thing for me because I grew up poor. Yeah. Or, you know, I grew up financially challenged. Maybe you know. Sure. Look up. I would say upper lower class. <laughs> we weren't in a trailer. That's fancy. Park. Maybe like a, maybe a few paychecks away from a trailer park, but never there. Sure. No, no disrespect to all my trailer park homies. Hey, I love the amount. I'm just being I'm just being real. Like, you know, going out to dinner was like KFC across the vacant parking lot. For sure, man. Humble beginnings. And you know, honestly it's great. It taught me the value of a dollar for sure. But uh anyway, yeah, so yeah. I'm trying to figure out like where we left off. No, bring it back. Bring it back. Okay. Okay, I wanna talk to you about your DJing abilities because whether you know it or not, I've seen you DJ actually a lot of times. Okay. I did a lot of stuff with the afterlife guys and the funky entertainment guys when I actually first got to Chicago about five years ago. Um, which seems like yesterday, but you know how fast time goes. No doubt. And you're always someone who is energetic, is is just into it, and I love that about you because it, when you think about house DJs, you know, especially these techno DJs, right? Like I've been to Movement, I've been to Europe. And it's not just guys. the techno DJs, but I do feel you. I do. Feel A you. lot of DJs. Right. Let's just say I just. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Pigeonhole. I don't want a pigeonhole techno because, like, I've seen some techno DJs who are like lit into it, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. love them even more for yeah. it. And for someone, and you mentioned Derek Carter, and Derek Carter has this quote that I think about every single time I DJ is, if you're not into it, why the fuck would anybody else into it? That is literally defines my, like, like, like it's like, exactly like, the, if that's the one-liner for like, yeah. like, like if somebody's to be like, why do you do that? I'm like, that's why. Because, exactly. I mean, if you're not into your music, why would anybody else? You know, I, 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 I've, I've been a manager of people before, I've been, mm-hmm. an, I've been, a, I've been a lead, a lead man and band, like, you know. I've, crowd engagement is a huge part of what my role has been in a lot of the music that I've done. Yeah. And, um, well, first of all, the music that I play, I don't let it, if, if it doesn't make me do that, if, regardless of all of the responsibilities of a DJ, if a, if a, if a song doesn't make me want to park my car and start dancing on the side <laughs> of the road, it doesn't make it to my playlist. Like, That's I, a good threshold. I did a, I did a set one time at uh, Betty's Blue Star, and uh, back when it was all wax. And a kid comes in, and like the rush comes in, like the the, the late rush, because it's a four o'clock, five o'clock bar. And the guy goes, oh, here comes the rush. Time to bust out your A-list. I'm like, dude, it's all A-list. <laughs> I only brought A-list. You know, like, why would I be, I, this is not a hotel lobby. I'm not, yeah, I'm man. not, I'm only playing for an hour, dog. I don't have any B-list shit I'm playing. Like, what, like you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I literally, like, I, I've told that story before, and I know it has a little bit of, like, like, a little bit of cockiness. That's not what I mean. I just mean, like, no, why would dude. you play anything else besides shit? You're just like, ooh, this is going to make him dance. Ooh, you this is going to make him dance. You know, you can imagine, like, Grandmaster Flash telling his record book, like, yo, yo, go get me that one that might make him dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, exactly. Like, you know? It's so true, man. But, I mean, you've had so much experience. I mean, some of the biggest festivals in Chicago, Spring Awakening, Mammy on the Beach, the entire club circuit. Can we get a moment of silence for the mid? Um, but obviously, fun, like, you've done your thing, man, you've learned so much. What are some of your favorite shows you've ever played? Okay, uh, you know, first and foremost, it's definitely gotta be, um, the, uh, Spring, thanks, baby, Spring Awakening, uh, last year, right? At last year and the year before, last year definitely was the, was the ultimate. Uh, so, so, Randa, real quick, you've gone yeah. like this, though. I, I mean, let's be honest, man, like, it's never been, it's been a sure re- there's been some flat, maybe, It's been a, definitely some plateaus, because sometimes, like, in order to get that, going it takes an amazing it's like I, I always equate like making a new level or new milestone of success of whatever you define success as is like sure. pushing a train most of the effort comes at the beginning 
once you get it going, you can keep it going. But sometimes mm -hmm. it takes so much effort just to move one step up yeah. that I just like to just coast for a minute. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure, sure, and sure. I'm guilty of that because I should be putting out way more music and no. I know I can. And sometimes I'm like, holy shit, I just binged that whole series. I should have been in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But fuck, it just feels, honestly, man, I, you know, people are always like, how much is enough? Like, I really feel like right now in my life, if you could hit pause on my level, I mean, I would definitely want, love to get more notoriety in music and bigger gigs and stuff like that. From a financial perspective, I don't need to, This is more comfortable than I ever lived. This is more comfortable than I could ever have kids see. When I was a little kid in the, in the scenario that I described to you, yeah. you know, in the vacant lot and all that, I could have never dreamed that I would be living on Lake Michigan yeah, I mean, with a view, an unobstructed view of downtown. I mean, you know, we're not like right downtown, but like we see beaches and Navy Pier fireworks and shit. I mean, like, it's like I, could, I didn't even know Navy Pier existed when I was growing up. I mean, <laughs> and now I got like a view of it. And it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. so I honestly feel like as far that. as like financially speaking, you know, if I could, if I could just, if we could figure out a way to stay this good for the rest of our lives, and, and you know, I'm making moves in the back end, you know, like, sure. a, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as far as the as far as the music stuff goes, to answer your other question, the best set that I've ever played was uh, Spring Awakening 2019. I closed out the whole festival. It was me and Cascade. <laughs> I'm sure there were some other people there, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was supposed to be Martin Garrick, I think, but he busted his ankle getting off stage at Ultra. I think it was. And he, oh was, yeah. He jumped down off stage. It was like. Pfft. Or whatever, something right. happened. Something I, happened. I forgot about that. Put out a statement, and then and then they're like, okay, I guess we'll get Cascade. Oh, uh, like, we'll, we'll get Randall Dean. No, 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 no. He was playing, of course. But the the uh, Corona Electric Beach stage, which is uh, oh, in the bubble. Yeah, the bubble, right? Oh man. So it's like an air conditioned beach stage. So it's, it's like sick. they they bring in sand. Yeah. So you're immediately just regretting wearing shoes, <laughs> but it's awesome. The 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 staff for uh, Corona Electric Beach are amazing mm -hmm. and uh every single time that i've been there as a guest i've had a good time air-conditioned dome in the middle of summer mm -hmm. with sand and they bring real palm trees in it feels awesome it's amazing in there and uh you know they, they prop you up so you're just above it you can see it all and um i uh, i decided that at the last minute i i saw this trumpet player online who was just blew me away and um, he said he's looking for people to collaborate with. I'm a live musician, so I'm usually begging live musicians to play with me, sure. let alone sample and stuff like that. And, and he was putting out a call, and I watched him just solo trumpet for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> I hit him up, and I was like, hey, uh, come over and practice with me, and if, and if, you, and if we click, I'll, I'll bring you with me on stage at Spring Awakening. Nice. And he goes, bet. So he came, and we played here. 4 p.m. It's the only time I ever had cops come to my house. Where he his trumpet is so loud, he didn't have the muffle on it. But we practiced a couple <laughs> times, and then I sent him a practice mix because I, I had definitely planned out where I wanted to go with it. Sure. And I sent it to him ahead of time. He rehearsed on his own, and he got up there with me. And we just just because I, wow. I wanted, I knew I was going to be going against Cascade, so I didn't want to. And I play like I play a little more. Um, Cascade's evolved into a different like place though than it used to be. Like it used to be more housey, now it's more like progressive and and EDM-y, but like, which, which I really which I really love too. I'm yeah. Not, and that that aside, I also was playing a little more like hyped up shit that I normally play at uh, at the gig because it was the last week and I didn't want to be playing chill house music. Sure. When everybody's like, it's like, should I go or should I stay? It's like, all right, this is gonna put me asleep. I'm gonna go. I wanted to, people who were like, this is ratchet. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I wanted to do something different than what people might have got. I didn't want to just play a watered down version of the Cascade stage. So that, so Tom, Tomcat trumpet. Thank you for playing. Oh, is that who it was? Yeah. Oh, and, uh, absolutely. He's awesome. He's dope. And yeah. uh, so he got up there with me and just wailed, and um, it was just, it was great, man. I mean, so many people that I was just like, I didn't even know you really cared enough like seeing people that i'm just like i just figured like why would you miss cascade to see me i mean right. anyway it was amazing that so that was my favorite show of all time probably Dude, one cool. of the most proud moments 
I, and, and also the, the year before, I gotta say thanks to, um, to, to Dom and to, to Martin for having me out react. You guys are awesome. Thank you oh, so yeah. much for noticing course, me and uh, taking note of me. Those guys are obviously one of some of the hardest working people in show business. That's so true, man. It definitely doesn't go unnoticed by the community, uh, you know. And, uh, yeah, oh, and, no. when yeah. I when I interviewed Dom Brown, man, that was one thing I commended to him on. He he gave me my first opportunity at Silent Disco at North Coast. Yeah, that was the first thing I said to him. Yeah. So I, I'm right there with you, man. And and people like you and him, honestly, I, whether you not you want to group yourself with them, man, you guys are pioneers and you guys are leading it forward. So I commend you for that. And it's seriously doing things like you're doing here with Critically Massive. Yeah. You're you're giving a platform to people, man. That's Why did you decide to do this? Where does the name come from? Like, tell me okay. where Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you asked because I wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit. Like, yeah, of like, course. Uh, like long, uh, one quick thing though. That two two other really quick ones. The year before Silent Disco. Oh, yeah. That was my first time playing a festival, a big festival. That was amazing. Uh huh. Silent um, Discos are fun. Yeah, yeah. I remember when Martin. I was at a. I was at React lunch break, and I. Nice. I had not been trying at all. Haven't been like, putting my hand out to try to play Spring Awakening, even though a lot of my friends had. Um, but he just came up to me at React Spring at noon. We were watching like I don't know, maybe like Derek Specs and Rami had uh, they did their rituals like tag team set there. Sure. And Martin just comes to me and goes, Hey, thanks for coming. Thanks. I'm like, Thanks. He's like, Oh, by the way, we got you on Spring Awakening this year. I was like, Cool, cool. Good <laughs> talking. Like, it was like wicked. What? It was like that. And no one was there with me. I was there solo. So I was like, Who do I talk to? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Honey, I'm like, Honey, what am I doing? I was like, I'm like, I don't want to believe it till I see it on the flyer. And it took forever to get the flyer, but I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm not. I mean, I, I mean, I, I let it slide, but like until it, until they were announcing that I was playing. I wasn't trying to tell anybody because that's I just learned the hard way, dude. You know, don't, and like never announce. Yeah, exactly. Right. Shit happens, and you know, like you know, oh, we had to cut that stage or whatever. And I just, I also, do, I don't like to let myself get too too worked up. Uh, and then one other one that I can really remember yeah. is the first and only time I played Smart Bar. It was uh, it was back when it was all vinyl, and I uh, my buddy uh, Adam Nelson Sambiance he got me the gig there, and I was just like, holy shit, dude, I'm playing that's Smart Bar. Legendary. Right now. It, it was like 2002. Or two thousand and three. So CDJs didn't. No, it was didn't. Rec- no, there was no CDJs. It was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe they just started coming out, but um, but that I played on wax. There, it was like the, the turntables Dude, were two techniques were like in jam. Oh my god, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, for those that are listening that don't know about Smart Bar, I know a lot of people that DJ Smart Bar, and it's a huge conversation piece because I know how instrumental it's been in the Chicago scene, mm-hmm. and just hearing someone like you say that. Yeah, definitely honorable mentions go to the mid. I had great times playing at the mid. Of um, course. Um, Rick Martinez, uh, he did this thing called Battle of the Beasts, and uh, Randall Dean and James Dean, we were James we, Dean, we, yeah. we, we, bat- we battled or whatever. We just tag teamed, basically. It was dope. I mean, I was dressed up as like a big, hairy, like furry. It was like Halloween, too. So yeah. got the, the DJ, like 95 degree heat with like a fucking hairy beast mask. I don't know. I was, I was, <laughs> anyway, it was, it was great. It was great. Yeah, critically massive. So, um, when we first got started in the, we spent the first couple of weeks of quarantine, um, just kind of like we thought it was going to be like, we're like, oh, United States, we got this. Two three weeks. So um, we're like, let's party. So we partied for like two weeks straight, like <laughs> complete degenerates. A lot of drinking and uh, everybody did. It's okay. Yeah, because we're like, did. we're like, we thought this was just like a vacation. Seriously. And then a couple weeks after that, it just was like getting worse, getting worse, getting worse. And we're like, oh, shoot. I'm like, I, I'm like, great. 
having Melissa Holmes great, and she's having to learn how to do this e-learning because she teaches. Okay. And uh, so we had to we had to learn that. L luckily, uh, we're blessed with amazing upload speeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that is like one of the quintessential keys to making a good quality stream is having a great upload speed. Absolutely. Which, which, which just happened. The package that our building forces us to buy. That's it's amazing. Like uh, it's great. Anyway. It's a blessing. And uh, so I started off like everybody else did with. Uh, well, luckily I had the sound gear from my recording studio, which is in the room over there. But um, I just brought I brought one of my old uh, sound cards out because I upgraded, and so I brought the sound guard out. So the sound was amazing, but the cell phone footage was just okay for me. I was doing like frame loss where it like clipped a little bit, sure. you know, on on like certain lighting, fine. But that room over, and we live on a corner, and it's so much light behind mm -hmm. that it was impossible to get good lighting during the day. And like we wanted to try to take advantage of the lake and the water and the view, but we. We, we took every single bright light bulb we had and put it on tables and shit behind the camera <laughs> and lit and it didn't hold, I was even me in my paleo my milky ass was still a shadow dancing in the foreground <laughs> and so you know we've we've been through several rounds of like upgrading our equipment that just like bought a whole set of lights and a whole set of cables and everything that went with it sure. not bright enough sent those back brought another so like literally like and this is over the course of a month I started so so from like about I would say probably it's we're on week eight for our for our, our podcast. So very so, people. Too. So about uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, we so eight weeks ago I was live streaming from a cell phone in the other room. <laughs> and, uh, I know what you mean. And now we've hosted you know like twenty five hours of Taste of Randolph Street, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I have like all star cast: DJ Psychobitch, Terry Bristol, T Maxwell, Steve Maxwell, like so many other names. You know like uh, Eric Welton, Immaculate rather, and uh, you know um, Julius Madfinger were here. Like 25 hours without a hitch, full HD, and it was just awesome, man. And you know, so it was great because it was an opportunity because they're a charitable foundation that their biggest, their Black Friday mm -hmm. is this event, the Taste of Randolph Street, yeah, uh, for their fundraising for the community organizations and all of their stuff. And so when she called up, she's like, uh, uh, Carla, super amazing girl who has been, a uh, woman person, who's been doing uh, all, all of that for so long and, like, leading the family of uh, Taste Randolph. She's like, well, you know, basically she said, like, you know, there's a lot of DJs, we're going to try to squeeze as much as we can, which day would work for you? I'm like, let's just do all three days. Yeah. And I, I could hear, like, knots unknotting on her back of her neck, and, like, yeah, next seriously. thing we know, we put the lineup out. Literally, we did it in one week. That's awesome. And uh, it was great. It was the first time I'd ever had all four cameras going, and I was like... You know, there was a bit of nerves, but I, you know, just, uh, it was great. So the reason that I got in, the reason that really propelled me beyond more than one camera for myself, other than just being a nerd, two could have been fine, yeah. was that I started seeing people like, I, I, don't, I don't know the DJ's name, and I wouldn't have name dropped anyway, but I saw, on Twitch has become like the go-to underground for like sure. live streaming, because for oh, whatever reasons, I'm not here to advertise, but anyway, Twitch is basically where it's at. It's the best option I found yeah. for a lot of reasons. But anyway, I would go on Twitch and I saw Desert Hearts and they yeah. had 16,000 people watching live. Yeah. And it was a DJ who was in like a frumpy pair of shorts with like his like, just <laughs> like, I mean, li 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 all right, his own personal hygiene aside, he was playing in a room that yeah. looked like the small bedroom of a Chicago two bedroom with like a, <laughs> you know, with like a bathroom... Yes. You could see like a bathroom door open with the light on in the bathroom. Oh, the, Jesus. The toilet seat was open. Oh. In the background, there's a twin bed with dirty laundry on it. <laughs> and the only lighting in the entire room was the bathroom light. 16,000 people? And there was 16,000 motherfuckers. Plus. I was like, uh-uh. I'm like, nope, not Chicago. I'm like, if I see anybody out there, regardless of our history, regardless of our, of, of whether there's no history or batters or whatever, if you're a DJ and you're trying to do something and you're trying to represent my city, 
come to Critically Massive because I, I know for a fact that a lot of more people, Melissa and I, luckily we built businesses outside of the entertainment industry. Some were impacted more significantly than others, but sure. we've been able to keep our standard of living afloat right now just because of savings and stuff like that. So we were able to invest the thousands and thousands of dollars to get ourselves to the point where we're at right now. When you, yeah. when you see our live stream, even on Facebook, you know, we, we max out at 720p for, for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it looks amazing no, compared to legit. almost every other home setup you have. And there's a couple of clubs that do stuff uh, that are that are you know are getting good too. Um, that that you know everybody has their own challenges and stuff like that. But uh, sure. I learned a lot of the, I learned a lot from my friends over at Nocturne. Oh, it's just and, about uh, to compliment them. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, Francois was he was like basically my my mentor for like the more advanced stuff. Well, you really did a lot of research too. I noticed, and I actually played at Nocturne too. And, and they had it. I mean, first off. Shout out to them because that venue is incredible. Yeah. But they really do have a, a well-oiled machine there. And I think you do too. Man. From the like, technology right down to the staff. You know, Miguel runs a tight ship there. And yeah, honestly, yeah, all, I, I honestly have not had a single bad employee experience. And we we did a residence. I was doing a residency there for, you know, six or seven months before the quarantine with Paul nice. Johnson. So we were there at least once a month as professionals, but also patronized them you know, several more times a week just because they're our local club i mean yeah. really nobody within a five minute to ten minute drive from here is even close to how cool of a club they are staff aside and everything I else agree. aside they're just their club is amazing their sound system's amazing i mean they are really like a total package and um yeah they take it seriously there yeah they do and so uh anyway so i'm just like i'm just saying out of all those interactions i've never had a single bad employee experience at the very least average like you know, just like all right, that that bus boy is a good bus, boy. you know. But like, but mostly above average and beyond. They're just like, yeah. I mean, you know, like if I mean, you, it's it's just nice when you see like, oh, the bar is getting a little over overturned. The manager will jump in, and like Miguel never lets a customer wait more than a couple of minutes. True. It's just it, like you said, very well well oiled machine. So yeah. anyway, uh, the owner Francois, he he taught me a lot of stuff that was beyond where like I was able to just trial and error my way through it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that anything can't be trial and error, but like. He was like, here, let me come over and spend, like, a couple of hours. And this is the guy who, like, runs a professional club, you know. And he's like, yeah. let me come over after my shift and spend a couple hours fine-tuning my machine. And, he, you know, he helped me get, like, the right machine for the job because shout my... Shout Yeah, man. right, yeah. No, yeah. yeah big shout-out goes to him, and I'll never forget that. And um, so, anyway, as far as home streams go, I feel like I just wanted to be, like... I wanted to be, like, people where they, where they, they see our stuff and they're just like, damn, that's what a live stream should look like. And that's actually how we got a Taste of Randolph gig. Uh, Julius Mad Thinker was over here, and uh, he was like definitely, the, at the, one, of the, one of the first uh, people we have at, at, to this date still, like one of like the most, no, the biggest no, notoriety and uh, notorious and famous uh, people that we've had here, and a good friend of his, Dave, and you know, uh, acquaintance of mine at the time, Dave Sabat, was watching the live stream to support him, and he sent the live stream to Carlo, who runs Taste of Randolph, he goes, see, because she asked him to do it, he's a professional photographer, amazing. But he's a, it takes more than photography to do this. Sure. And so he goes, see, this is what it should be. And she goes, well, ask him. And yeah, so yeah, then yeah. that's how it, and, and it was funny because Julius, after my hissette, he goes, so what's your next goal with Critically Massive? Now that you've reached this stable-ish solution to yeah, make yeah, it high quality. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'd really love to get a gig for like a festival. I want a club to call me up and say, come do our club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and uh, literally while we're talking. A paragraph or five paragraph essay text message come through from Dave saying, I just saw your set. I loved it, blah blah blah. And then like summarizing the whole thing about Carla and everything. Yeah. And he's and I was he's like, and literally as soon as Julius left, I'm like, that's some law of attraction. <laughs> like like Shit. right there. It was like I just it's weird because sometimes I feel like I'm not putting enough effort into stuff, and then out of nowhere the universe is like, Oh, achievement unlocked. Good job. Yeah, yeah. So, I agree, Rain on 
Now we only got a few minutes left here, sir. Okay. Um, I just want to ask you, last thing, what's coming up for the rest of this year, man? Now that you've kind of got an idea of how the rest of your looks. Uh, you know, we're definitely gonna. As far as critically massive goes, we're gonna evolve how we're. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting because I it, the answer has largely been based upon what phase our city is in as far yeah, as like true. the COVID opening. True. So when it got up to phase four, I was thinking, okay, maybe we'll phase out a little bit. We've been doing two shows a week, plus like a lot of, a, a pretty frequent Saturday one-off situation where we'll just get drunk and play for four hours. Like yeah. me and Tomcat just open jammed for like me, Mike, Trumpet, and yeah. Dex for like four hours on a Saturday one day. And, um, but uh, we, you know, once, once I saw that we're hitting the second wave again and this could be locked another double what we just had, we decided to like, we're gonna double down on it. So now we're gonna keep the two shows um, and then we're gonna start throwing in um, our own virtual festivals, like one day long festivals. We've got one coming up called Let's Get Virtual. I saw it, man, uh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, August 8th and uh, it's gonna be uh, my friend Mana, who goes by Forever Mana, um, Gene, Fer or Gene Hunt, excuse me, and uh, Redux, amazing tag team disco yeah, house man, DJs, man. me, and then uh, my friends Pest Control and Steve Noah uh, awesome. opening it up for us. It's going to be an all-day-long Saturday event that's going to be good. So we're going to dive down in that. And then musically speaking, I, I've, really, I've really taken my... I have a song that's in development right now. Um, I, I used to... I, uh, I never really answered your question before as far as music goes. I used to... I got to a point where I was doing everything myself when I first got signed. But I don't, I'm not passionate about the production and engineering side of things. I like writing and performing. Sure. So I found a writing partner right now, Immaculate, who I, t I bring him the demo of the song. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, not, not comparing myself, but just the only example I can think of. Like, Michael Jackson bringing a song to Quincy Jones and being sure. like, you know, like, and like it's, it's a great song. But you're playing in your living room with Janet on, you know, playing like yeah. Coke bottles, like as the drums, like that. And then right. Quincy Jones is like, I got you. And Eric is like Quincy Jones right now. Sure. So, and, I, you know, I give him, you know, all 50% credit on all the songs. Because to me, if you're really, if you're as good as Eric is at production and engineering, that in itself is part of the creative process. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in there, like all the like arrangement decisions. I mean, he, we, we run everything by each other. It's not like I just like, oh, make this sound good. But, um, but it, I could, I definitely could not do it without him. So um, we've got one in production. We're finishing up, right? We finished up the original for that, that uh, summer mix that just came out July 3rd. It's called, um, uh, what's it called? Anyway, it's, it, anyway, it's on my page. And, and, and uh, we've got another one that's, that we're about to be written. He's finishing up the dub mix for that. And we're going to start that My Home song with uh, Russell and hopefully Simone Green, if I can, if she's got a time in her schedule. But, yeah. Um, and then, awesome, so, yeah, man. yeah. So just trying to take everything I've done and, and take it a little bit farther. Randall, this has been such a pleasure. Um, obviously, you are someone who, even though you said you're going to plateau, you're fine with where you're at now, you're still doing your thing for the love of music, man. As long as you continue to do this, I see an uphill climb for you. And, and thank you for the opportunity to come on Critically Massive, and I am very excited. Yeah, I'm excited for your set. Yeah, it's All been right, great, man. Cool. Hell yeah. Thanks. Thank you.